Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members, educate yourself through free webinars and blogs, and even create your own customizable research library. Membership starts for as little as 49 cents a day. Download the Investigators Toolbox app or visit our webpage at www.investigators-toolbox.com. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Now, this is an incredible episode. It's a round table. Today, we welcome Andrea Rosco, Eddie Ajeb, and Kelly Riddle. Are you a new PI or an aspiring PI? Are you in the business for less than five years? If so, this is an episode for you. For the next hour, you gain some insight and suggestions in how to make it in this business. This panel is made up of some of the best minds in the industry. So please welcome Andrea Roscoe, Eddie Ajib, Kelly Riddle, and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everyone to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Uh, we're doing something a little different here today, something that's been on my heart for a while. I wanted to put together a panel for people that are new investigators, people that have either just gotten into the industry or are looking to get into the industry. And I wanted to provide some content, just a little bit of direction. And I reached out to three really good friends of mine. We're going to go ladies first. So Andrea Roscoe, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Kelly Riddle, number two. So welcome to the program. Good to be back. Great. My semi-official co-host. And then uh, one of my very first podcast guests, I think either one or two, Eddie Ajeb. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good. So each one of you holds a different uh, business model and a different perspective on running their business. Kelly, you've probably been in business the longest. Andrew, you're probably right behind it. I'd probably slot in somewhere behind you. And then Eddie, you're uh, you're about four or five years, I think, in on your own, right? Uh, yeah, just hit uh, six years this year. Okay, so Andrea, start real real quickly with your background, um, just to lay the uh, the table work here. Where are you from, and what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm actually located in Colorado. The company is Advanced Professional Investigations, and we specialize in insurance defense investigations. For the last 22 years, going on 23 in January. Wow, look at that. Uh, Kelly, how about yourself? Yeah, so I'm based in San Antonio. I've been in business 33 years, and uh, our, uh, you know, we're, ours is a corporate world, so anything that has to do with corporations and all that is where we really shine. How big is your staff? So we have uh, 10 in the office, 61 in the state of Texas, uh, 61 investigators just in Texas. Andrew, how about you? How many people work for you? Actually, only five now. We have downsized. I'm tired of working my butt off 70 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm in, I'm about to hire my eighth person. Um, and I'm trying to hire somebody to actually do my job <laughs> so I can stop doing it. <laughs> that, may be, that may be person number nine. Um, Eddie, how about you? 
Uh, so I'm based in Washington, D.C., and my company is Nighthawk Strategies, um, and we focus primarily on research-based investigations. So that's a lot of uh, background investigations and social media research. Okay. Um, so um, this is great. It's a diverse panel. You know, we all have different specialties. Um, mine is plaintiff personal injury. Uh, I'm in New York. That's kind of where I'm based out of. But if you're listening to this program, you probably know who I am and what I do. So uh, I won't get into that. So um, I, I just want to throw a general question out there. Um, Andrea, if if there was an investigator out there or someone who wanted to be an investigator, um, what do they do when they first decide to get start, started? What are some of the things that, that, that you must do? I think the first thing that you should do is have a business plan in mind. Do you know what the structure of your company is going to be? Do you have an idea if you want to be a sole proprietor, if you want to grow it at some point down the road, LLC, S Corp, you know, take careful consideration to those. Yeah, that's a good point. I, th I think you really have to de really decide um, almost like a three, I did a three-year plan when I started mine. Okay. So mm -hmm. like a three-year growth plan and I had no idea what to do. Um, but I was told by a bank who <laughs> wanted to get money from, or I think I bought like how to start a business for dummies or something like that, you know, and it was like, you know, drawing out those plans, which by the way, the numbers were completely off. They were, I ended up doing much more than I thought I was going to do, but at least having that, that vision to do it. Um, I think some of the other things lining up insurances, right. Making sure that you're, you're covered yes. licenses. Obviously, if you're in a state that requires a license, uh, you want to make sure you're licensed and, um, you're covered. If you have employees, uh, workers' comp insurance, uh, yep. something that you need to have. How about how about you, Kelly? What what do you what else do you think about that question? Well, you, you need to make sure that uh, you know you're covered. If you're in a state like Texas, where you have have to uh, collect and pay sales tax, mm -hmm. you know you, a lot of PIs get trapped in that. So uh, you know it's taxes that you need to make sure that you're uh, adhering to and stuff. But um, you know, really, uh, you got to have the right equipment. You got to have, you know, uh, some type of besides if you're doing surveillance cameras, but you got to have business, uh, you know, case management and, uh, you know, other software that helps you such as QuickBooks, et cetera. So you got to have the foundation set before you can jump. Right. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, how about you, Eddie? What, what were some of the things you did when you got started? Yeah, the, all of the above I, I did. I think it was it's always helpful to talk to some um, professionals along the lines of legal and accounting uh, business startup that can advise you on what you need to do to get start uh, get started and things that you need to do first. Um, definitely getting your your um, LLC setting up your technology is also a really big one. Um, you don't want to build the airplane when it's already in the air, so to speak. So you want to make sure that everything is as much as possible is set um, before you take off, so that you can uh, that you can get running. Yeah, we're going to touch on those uh, database questions in just a little bit too, because there, there's a lot of, of nuances there in in consideration. Um, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about niche because we, we, you know, like I said, we all hold a, a specialty in this area, and you know, the term private investigator and what we actually do is so broad, and there's so many different avenues of where you can go. So, you know, to me, I think it's it's taking into consideration your prior experience, you know, where are you coming from should probably steer you to the direction of where you're going to continue to go. Cause you obviously have a leg up, you have some training, you know what you're doing. Um, Eddie, how did you come to the idea to focus on research? Yeah. So when I uh, first started my business uh, for the first year or so, I didn't even think about being a private investigator. I was uh, the typical um, ambiguous 
DC consultant researcher who knows what I do. Um, so, um, you know, really that was, um, uh, you know, there, th that's a niche for DC. People in, in Washington know what consulting and research and stuff does, but I wanted to appeal to a broader audience. I wanted to work more with lawyers than with um, consulting and policy groups. So I talked to lawyers to figure out what it is that they need, what it is that's that's lacking. And a lot of um, uh, a lot of that led me to the private investigation profession. So I sort of found a niche a little bit by accident, a little bit by exploration mm -hmm. to see what people were looking for and um, what sort of gaps needed to be filled. Sure. Um, Andrea, let's let's talk a little bit about the difference between working between uh, for attorneys and working for insurance carriers. What, what's been your experience um, in, in working with the carriers versus attorneys? really depends on what type of investigations that you do. Um, going back to the niche portion of, portion of it, I think also consider your personality. What do you do best at? What do you excel at? And working with insurance companies versus working with the attorneys, with the attorneys, there's an awful lot more um, to consider. You know, for me, it's that communication with the attorneys. What is it that they feel is going to be helpful to their case versus what you feel is going to be helpful to your case? Insurance companies, I found over the years, are really easy to work with as long as you do a good job in what you do and what you provide to them. Right. Right. What's been your experience, Kelly, with the balance of, of your clients? I mean, you do a lot of corporate, too. So let's, let's throw corporate in that mix, too. What's the difference on that? Yeah. So, you know, when I first started the business, I came uh, out of law enforcement and worked for an insurance company for a couple of years. So I knew all the insurance adjusters and I'm like, Andrew, I started doing insurance uh, investigations initially, but I quickly evolved into the corporate world. And we do everything from, you know, pre-employment backgrounds, to sexual harassment, to workplace violence. And I figured out that that's really where the a lot of the big money is. Uh, but, you know, we also have through the time uh, evolved into 18 wheeler and cargo investigations, nursing home abuse, you know, a lot of other different uh, uh, specializations out there. And it's really, uh, you know, when I'm driving around, I look at whose name is on what what building. Yeah. And I kind of focus on that because like, man, if they got their name on a building, they probably need us, you know? Right, right. There you go. There's lots of billboards there in Texas too. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so Eddie, you actually identified an area, another vertical that I, I think not a lot of PIs think of when they're first getting started, but it's something that is fantastic because um, a lot of times established investigators, investigation companies are incredibly busy and have overflow and just don't have the time to do the actual work that's, um, that's needed. And you identified a need for that and you're fantastic with it, right? So, you, you know, offering your services, your research, not only to attorney clients or insurance companies, whatever, but you also offer these services to other investigators. Um, and uh, I know I use you personally. I just uh, had a testimonial about the work that you did for another investigator uh, from New Jersey um, who likes to do surveillance. You probably know who that is, who <laughs> 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 is very, very pleased uh, with the work that you're doing on that. So how, how did you identify that? And, and um, yeah, how did you build on that? Yeah, so that was um, something that had been really kind of now evolving now for about uh, 10, 15 years or so since social media sites have really sort of gained popularity. Um, it was uh, OSINT was a was a skill set that I used in a in a former job before I started my PI firm. Um, so it re it really became something that's that's um, becoming so ubiquitous in society that everyone has 
a, a smartphone, a computer. They're on social media for hours and hours a day. So there's a lot of information out there that can be valuable for an investigation that's posted publicly, whereas before you'd have to do a lot of surveillance or maybe sometimes it was just not even possible um, to get that kind of information. So um, just sort of seeing how little by little um, uh, over the course of the last several years, how this information has made a pivotal difference in some cases, um, it's been requested more and more by, by more attorneys and also by more um, PIs, as you mentioned. Yeah, so let's segue uh, with that uh, in the need for doing this research, which is databases, right? So you're a new investigator, you're just getting into it, and there's a whole bunch of different avenues of different databases you can use, and you obviously have a budget because you know you probably have very little money <laughs> for startup, and you got to make that decision and and get through it. Um, Andrea, what what was your experience, uh, or what is your experience, your opinion in dealing with databases and the best way to approach? Which ones to use? Say that you try out as many of them as that you as many of them that you can. A lot of them will give you a week or two of a trial uh, basis where you can go in and see what they have to offer and what kind of results you can get. I see a lot of investigators being penny wise pound foolish when it comes to databases. One database is not going to cut it. I know for us, I jump around on databases depending on what they're offering at any given time. Some of them, the information may be stagnant after 30 days and another database will pick up information quicker and give you information that you may need to even crack a case. So look to see what it is you're going to be doing, what kind of specialty you're going to be offering and try out those databases to see what's going to help you the most. And don't be afraid to have two to three, four, five at any given time. Yeah, and um, Kelly, we'll, we'll touch on your uh, opinion on this, but be before we do that, um, you know, one of the things you should also be doing, you should be billing for it. I know it's something that, that, that you do, right? You, you build in a, a database charge. Uh, so mm -hmm. we should never be afraid to access that data for price point. It should never be an issue. And that should, it should never be like, oh my God, like, you know, this yep. is so expensive, this database. You should be passing that cost along you know, obviously, you know, you don't, you, you got to be, you got to find a number that works, uh, you know, as far as what, you know, what that looks like, but there should be some sort of database charge in on that. Kelly, what's, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you should have a charge, but you know, that, that can be difficult because if a, like an insurance company gives you a flat rate, you know, $2,500 or whatever, then, you know, you got to back that out. So, uh, uh, so yeah, bill for your time as much as you can, but you know, the TLO, IDI, clear, you know, there's, there's some free ones out there, searchsystems.net. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a free one. And they've got all kinds of stuff on it. And so, um, but I agree with all of us, you know, no one database works. And part of it is you also got to understand that, you know, a lot of the information they're getting, they're getting it from the same sources, you know, credit, credit bureaus and from county courthouses. So a lot of it's, how does it fit into the package the way that it looks that you want to be able to use, you know, so some of it just comes down to good data and, and uh, the way it looks. The dashboard. Yeah. Just the, the accessibility to get around on it. And, you know, they were all, I think if someone has found the formula that works because they're all starting to look pretty similar as far as their layouts yeah. uh, and what they can do, um, which is interesting. Exactly. Um, but it, it's a necessary evil. Like we need to have, this information in order to do what we're going to do. So like, if you are intent on getting in investigations, any type of investigations, don't say like, oh, well, I don't do that social media research. 
I don't need these databases. Well, do you do surveillance? Yeah, I do surveillance. Okay, you think maybe you should do like a pre-surveillance workup on yeah. things? Well, right. yeah, you're going to need that, right? So yeah. you could make the argument for any type of investigative work that you're going to need to tap into these databases to look. And if you're not using it, you're not doing it, you're not you're doing yourself a disservice um, in in doing that. So, you know, just understanding the tools that are available. Andrea, I like your point about using multiple. I'm I'm the same way. I like to, um, it, it I, I call it the Trinity, right? You got to be using at least, yeah. and you know, who those three are kind of bounce around a little, a little differently for me depending on what I'm doing. Uh, but there's some really good um, databases out there. You know, there, there's another guy, uh, Alex Price, right? Locate Smarter. It, it, they're they're new. They're getting into the game. So their prices are not too exorbitant. Are, are they my go-to? They're not my go-to, but they're somebody that I have access to. Um, you know, IRB is another company that they support the show. Um, Scope Now, they support the show. And, and Scope Now is a whole, a whole different animal too, because I don't consider them to be one of the data broker people because they've evolved their product into more of a right. social media research thing. But the, like, these are good tools. And you, know, you have meetings with them, you're like, wow, this is expensive. Yes, it's expensive, but it can get you to where you need to go. So you've got two options. You know, you can either learn how to do the work, pay pay the money to do it, and be really good at it, and sell lots of uh, reports to cover your costs, or you call a guy like Eddie, who's got all that stuff already and can do it for you. You know, you won't make as much money. Eddie will make you look like a million bucks, and right. everybody uh, is happy at the end of the day. Um, so Kelly, you you touched on something a little bit earlier that I wanted to come back to on case management um you know how important is case management software i assume all of us here use something right yeah absolutely all right we're all shaking our heads for those not watching yeah (laughs) that was that tossed to me i didn't hear who you tossed it to yeah actually i didn't it just said in in general we're all doing it but kelly let's let's come back to you because i I know you use a different system than i use um and it's they, they do very similar things and i think it comes back to this whole dashboard Things. So, so let's get your two cents on this. Yeah, I, you know, there's some good ones out there. Tazworks is the one I particularly like. T A Z W O R K S. Actually, that's not it. That's a different database. Track Ops. I'm sorry. T R A C K O P S. And I like Track Ops because uh, both of the the brothers that created that were PIs before they were actually you know data uh, developers and stuff. Uh, so you know, for me. I don't really know how any PI, I don't care if you're one person operation or, you know, bigger like me where, you know, you got to be able to take your uh, show on the road kind of a thing, you know? So if you're sitting in a hotel room and you forgot a file, well, it's on your case management system, you know, or if you need to access some data while you're out in the field, it's on your case uh, system. And, you know, for me, if I am sitting in a hotel room, I can see what's going on within my own company, you know? So I, I just think it's a smart way to go and to be paperless. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely true. Andrea, what's what's your take on that? I completely agree. It's all about being organized. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start getting a bunch of cases in, there is no way to keep it better organized than to use a, a case management system. Yeah, uh, Eddie, I'm sure you use something too, right? Yep. Yeah, I agree 100. I actually use a case management software designed for attorneys. Um, that was just entirely coincidentally, it's something that I use that is, um, it does, you know, time expenses, it keeps track of the cases you're working on, it signs case numbers. Like Andrea said, it's about being organized so that if a client calls you back six months later and says, Hey, you did great work on that. I need you to do this now. It's not all just a, you know, a, a big mess of, uh, of folders and spreadsheets. You can keep everything 
uh, neatly organized and that pre presents a more professional image to clients as well. Yeah, yeah no, it's definitely a good point. Yeah, for me, um, I mean, folks know I use Crosstracks. They're a big sponsor of the podcast. And um, I hadn't used a case management system till about four years ago. And I made that transition. And I mean, I have thousands and thousands of cases open now, which is amazing. Right. I was looking at that the other day. I'm like, wow, how did I get to that number uh, <laughs> so quickly, right? And um, you don't realize how much work you actually do. Um, the reason I like Crosstracks and, and I promote it is uh, SOC 2 certified. I think they're the only one yes. out there. Uh, and when you're dealing with insurance companies, like they require that as part of, um, you know, the, the vendors that they're using, right? What type of encryption do you have to ensure that your files are not going to be taken and they won't be locked out? Um, when we're dealing with all these online threats these days of people taking over computers and, and things like that, oh, you took over my, uh, my server? No problem. <laughs> Everything's still up in the cloud. Godspeed, right? <laughs> I'm not going to pay your 10,000 Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, like, absolutely. you know, no, thank you. Right. So, um, you know, you, ha you have things like that and the accessibility. I, I like with Crosstracks the ability for my clients to be able to go in and look and pull down their own things. So I don't get those emails anymore. Can you send this or I'm missing this invoice or, or anything like that. Um, so we, we've, we've migrated. Not 100% we're there. That's one of my goals for 2023 is I want to go completely serverless. I want everything to be on the cloud. And, and the challenge uh, with getting my clients to accept the idea that they're no longer going to get files emailed to them is a challenge. Like I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, struggling with that with my own clients. Oh, I don't like doing this. Yeah. I know you don't like doing it, but you'll get used to it. <laughs> like it'll it's change. Yeah, yeah. They don't like change. Yeah. It's, it's not good. Um, but it, you know, if you're just starting off, you know, you're like, wow, okay. I, I can't justify that expense. Like I get it. I get it. But you've got to understand that, you'll be able to afford it if you're using case management system because it's going to make you more efficient. You're going to clear more cases off your desk faster. You're going to get paid faster. Um, you know, we were talking about, you know, using uh, other tools too, like QuickBooks. I love QuickBooks because it's, it's online, mm -hmm. right? And my clients just hit a button and they can pay by credit card and it's good to go, right? Yes, I got to pay credit card fees. I understand that. Uh, but I work that into the price. I have some clients that actually cover that. Uh, in New York, it's, it is a recoverable expense. So like when an attorney gets a, a retainer statement and they list out all their expenses, credit card um, you know, financing charge are, is actually something they can recover. So um, most attorneys don't realize that. When you tell them that, they're like, oh, okay. And plus they like to get their points as well too. So uh, right. yeah. everybody's flying these days. So. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I like to do that. So do that. I think this is a good place to actually take a break. Um, so I want to just jump in and uh, let the sponsors do what they need to do. You'll probably hear from some of the fine folks we, do, we were just talking about. Um, and then we'll jump back in. And we got a whole bunch more topics I want to cover. Um, again, I appreciate you guys coming on here. This is uh, it's a lot of fun. I can't believe we're at, at the break already. We've done we've done 20 something minutes already. And it's just, uh, you know, just we got a lot more to do. So everybody sit tight and we will be right back. You guys have been hearing uh, for a long time about how much I love Crosstracks, but now you're going to hear from somebody else. So we got George Gerges here. George is a member and user of Crosstracks. George, tell me real quickly what you love about Crosstracks. The simplicity of using it and the ability to customize everything that you could do with Crosstracks is awesome. It actually allowed me to take the way that I do my business and implement it into their system 
And not only am I able to manage 10 or 15 cases, I'm able to manage 50 to 100 cases with the same effort. Fantastic. So Crosstracks, um, the case management system, they are SOC 2 certified. Basically, that's an encryption, really an upgrade. They're the only ones out there that are doing it. So please support this great sponsor that supports our show. Uh, check them out. The links are in the show notes. Crosstracks, if you're an investigator, you should be using them today. Looking for an insurance agent that puts you first? Every PI business is different. That's why OREP Insurance can shop multiple markets to ensure you get the best coverage to meet your unique business needs. OREP's model is business by the golden rule, and for over 20 years, they've built their business by putting their clients first. So come enjoy a fast online application and same-day certificates of insurance at OREP.org. OREP has coverage for armed investigators, executive protection, and even has a separate policy for security firms. The application takes less than five minutes, so visit OREP.org today. OREP.org. Are you an investigative professional with an international problem you can't solve? Conflict International has the knowledge and relationships to jump in for you. We compensate investigators for referring cases to our office. Contact us today for details. Conflict International uses insight, intelligence, investigation, risk management, and strategic solutions to solve problems troubling individuals and companies of all kinds anywhere around the world. Whether you're planning to hire a person to a position of trust, carry out due diligence on a company, trace hidden assets, or require skilled boots on the ground, Conflict International investigators can seamlessly pursue a case across borders, offering a truly global solution. Find out about our extensive range of services at conflictinternational.com. Conflict International, global reach, international knowledge. Get a look at the latest issue of PI Magazine, available online or via hard copy. Visit PIMagazine.com to learn more. And welcome back, everyone, to PI Perspectives, uh, the roundtable edition. Uh, so we're here with Andrea Rosco, Kelly Riddle, and Eddie Ajev. Guys, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Awesome. Appreciate it, Matt. Love having you guys on. You guys are dear friends. Yeah, I really appreciate your perspective on things. So I wanted to talk about Another thing that I think is really, really important uh, for someone, especially if they're just starting, uh, and that's finding a mentor, uh, finding somebody that um, you can really lean on with questions. And for those listening that are not new PIs that have been around the block a few times, um, I want to suggest to you that maybe you should be a mentor if you're not, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're getting that exposure. So um, Andrea, why don't you, you take this one first? Um, and you ha- I've seen you mentor people. So uh, wh- what's your experience there? How do you feel about the whole mentorship uh, portion of this industry? I definitely think it's important. It's huge. For those that have state associations, um, there are usually mentor lists on those state associations of people that are willing to sit down with you and take you under their wing. I also think it is really important for those of us that have been in business for some time to lend our experience to those getting in. There's no better way to learn from somebody than somebody that's gone through the good, bad, and indifferent. So you're not having to reinvent the wheel. 
Absolutely. Kelly, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think uh, absolutely. Anybody that's been in business very long needs to be a mentor. And we've all, you know, been in that position where we start off and where you're mentoring. All of us are mentors. But, you know, I, I think it, there's a lot of different things. You know, I, I was just in the North Carolina uh, uh, conference and, you know, I started off the presentation by giving everybody a pat on the back because they survived COVID, you know. Right. Sometimes you just need to tell somebody that they're doing a good job. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. How about you, Eddie? What's your take on it? Yeah, it's definitely um, it's something that that helped me personally when I was first getting started out a few years ago. Um, and as Andrea said, look to the associations. Um, you have NCISS and then the National Association. You can meet PIs from all over the country and your state association. The state associations also have lists or uh, networking events or groups. Um, and the third one I would recommend is um, I actually got a mentor through a, an entirely un, industry unrelated uh, chamber of commerce group that I belong to uh, as a certified business locally here in DC that I met face to face with a business mentor. We talked about business development, marketing, sales, things like that. But he was not a, a private investigator. So it's that was another resource that I thought was good to get some outside perspective. And it's definitely helpful in your in your uh, initial years. Well, probably a potential client at some point as well. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Matt, I would, I would like to throw in there, you know, an investigator's toolbox. I mean, I we're, you know, that's uh, your your baby, you know. But the investigator's toolbox, there's that's one of the things that makes it unique, is you have a lot of expertise and a lot of people who's been around a while, and it's a great format, you know, to ask questions and to uh, yes. learn from others. Yeah, and one of the things that we're doing uh, for the next version, which should be released before the end of the year, I'm very excited about that. Um, mm -hmm. So we've got a um, Ask a PI panel. Um, so I've identified about eight to 10 people that um, are folks right here, <laughs> that run right here and, and a few others that have made themselves available to answer a question via email. Um, and it's something that's exclusively available for members only, right? You go in, and you click a button and you say, hey, I'm, I'm wondering about this or, you know, how did you market to this attorney or whatever the question is, it gets uh, filtered through um, our team and gets pointed in the right direction for somebody who's got a particular specialty level. Um, it's it, I'm very honored that folks are, you know, folks like yourselves are, are have made yourselves available. And I think it's so important for those just starting off to uh, to be able to have that uh, handholding, uh, experience. It's, uh, yes. it, it's so important. And, uh, you know, the theme here from these three people, and I'll, I'll hammer this point down before we go on to the next one is participation, um, in your state association and national association and, and being part of these things. Right. And I, by participation, I don't mean, yeah, I paid my hundred dollar fee or 150 fee to be part of it or whatever. I mean, going to the event and being there and sitting down and really getting to know somebody. It's so much easier for me anyways, to give work to somebody that I actually know. Yes. You know, I know they don't yeah. have three heads um, and uh, they're, they're going to get it done. So, you know, and that's a big pill to swallow when you're first starting off, right? Okay. So not only am I um, laying money out for a hotel and laying money out for the conference fee and and all that, I'm also not going to be working for three to four days. So that's three or four days worth of lost income. And I think a lot of times that, you know, would be a deterrent for somebody to say like, hey, I can't go to these things. Because I, I know because that was me, you know, in the beginning when I started like, oh, I got to work, I can't go to this stuff, right? Um, but getting getting beyond that and understanding like the, the relationships that you build um, far outweigh, 
you know, the, the upfront cost. Think of it as like a tuition, right? Here's yeah. the tuition for me to learn, you know, improve on my craft and network and, and bill this. Oh, and by the way, if you're a business owner, that's a, it's a write-off. <laughs> like everything that you're doing there to get there is a write-off <laughs> and just understanding that, right? Um, something to, uh, to look into. So, okay, so we're going to move on to the next point. And Kelly, you covered it a little bit. We're, we'll come back to you on this one because uh, I want to hammer on it a little is equipment. You know, what is the right equipment to have when you're first uh, getting started? You know, is it surveillance equipment? Is it uh, camera equipment? Like, what do you, what would you recommend? Yeah, I think you got to be, uh, you know, high on technology, man. I mean, you got to have a good computer. You know, you got first of all, you got to have just the basics to be able to communicate, you know. And and um, while we're, before I forget, you know, we've, we've had this conversation, Matt, about uh, investigators that are using their cell phones now as a camera. Well, guess what? Plaintiff attorneys are starting to subpoena those. Right. So, yep. you know, if, you, if you're going to do that, use a cell phone that's not your main cell phone, you know, but uh, you, you got to invest and reinvest. I mean, we're constantly buying new technology, especially if we do a lot of surveillance. So you got to have, you know, the undercover stuff, the key fobs and all the other stuff, you know. But um, it really comes down to, like you said, Matt, you know, having a QuickBooks online version is more expensive than having just a one on your desktop, you know, which they're going to stop supporting anyway. But, uh, you know, the databases that we're talking about, that's equipment in, in and of itself, you know, on a different level. But um, you just can't operate without it. And you might as well invest in that right up front and do your business plan and, uh, you know, know what you're going to ex- when you're expanding, know what that's going to cost you because it's the same thing multiplied. So what would be a good number for someone who's who, they're weighing their odds, their, their not their odds, their um, uh, possibilities of what they're going to do here? Like, uh, all right, I'm a year away from retirement from the federal government. And this investigation thing seems like it's something I'd be interested in. I'm going to make my business plan, but I should probably have some startup moolah, right? What would you say would, would that magic number be, Kelly, in your opinion for... Well, I think for a one-person operation, I mean, it ought to be, you know, uh, $7,500 minimum, and that's not including any marketing budget or anything else, but that's just on equipment, you know. And so, you know, I started my business back in 1989 with my desktop computer and $1,000, you know, and I had a business partner. So, I mean, uh, but I flipped it real quick, you know, but I mean, realistically, in this day and age, you know, you got, you're competing with other people and you got to be professional. So you, you just gotta, you gotta have $7,500 as a minimum. And that's a minimum. Right. How about you, Andrew? What's your take on that? Oh gosh. I would say it goes back to the, when you first set up your business, you know, do your research depending on what type of investigations you're going to be doing and try to determine what it's going to take to complete that type of investigation, what kind of equipment you're going to need. If you're going to be somebody that does interviewing, what do you need for that? What do you need if you're going to be doing um, surveillance and have some working capital as well? So I would agree with Kelly. I would say maybe even a little bit higher. I would say 10, maybe in the $10,000 range. Yeah, I think probably 10 is is a solid number. How about you, Ed? What's your take on this? Yeah, like Andrea said, it de- it de- does depend a lot on what kind of work you're going to be doing. So, for example, I don't I don't do surveillance or um, you know have any equipment heavy type of investigations, but at a minimum, what I would need to get started as a uh, social media investigator is, of course, you know, a computer, case management software, um, looking at software for preserving um, online, uh, like Hunchly. Um, Hunchly is a is a tool that will. Uh, it's a subscription tool where you can save web pages. 
Um, you might have to get a, you know, your, your bookkeeping, things like that. So I would even say if you're going more on that digital route, um, you're still looking at maybe five to 7,000 um, digital forensics, whole different thing. Um, bug sweeping, whole different, different thing. thing. You're talking like several tens of thousands of dollars. So really it does kind of, kind of depend on the type of equipment you need depends on the type of work that you're going to be doing. So it does vary quite a bit. Yeah. And don't be afraid to talk to a bank about, you know, taking a loan. Um, yeah. I know I did that when I started, I, I borrowed 35,000 and, um, I, I went through it pretty quickly. <laughs> I was down to my last five grand. Uh, you're probably about eight months in. I had a lot of heavy startup costs. Um, and, um, you know, the business just took off from there. And that, that $35,000 loan I paid back in two years. Um, so, exactly. You know, if, if you do it right, if you plan it right, if you market it right, um, and if you're diligent about things, you know, it's, it's a small risk, you know. And the other thing that, like, I would suggest is if you're getting – to the point where you think you want to start your, your own business, pay off all your credit cards. Yes. You know, live at a zero balance if you can, because it'd be that much easier to borrow money or get, you know, get equity from somewhere if you need it. Um, if your credit score is legitimate and, uh, you know, you're not living paycheck to paycheck on, on that stuff. Um, it, it could really mean the difference in the percentage that you're paying back on your loan. It can make a difference on how much they're willing to take a risk on you, you know, um, you know, just keeping that into consideration. Um, and, you know, the other thing too, uh, for those that are, have been in the business for a while and are doing okay and they're thinking about taking it to that next level, you know, consider a credit line, you know, applying for yep. a credit line and use it. And don't be afraid to use it, you know, uh, when you have to, that's what it's there for, you know, but pay back. Yep. <laughs> you got to pay back, right? Um, Kelly, what's your take on that? Because you, you have... Um, you know, upscaled your business, um, you know, considerably. So what, what were some of the challenges for you to get from point A to point B? Yeah, you know, anytime you're growing your business, uh, you know, the cash flow is always an issue. And so not everyone pays quickly. And and uh, that's going to dovetail into, uh, I think, another question we have. But, you know, the bottom line to that is you got to be able to survive the the roller coasters you know, because you're going to get a lot of work in and you're not, not going to get any work in a lot of work. That also is the way your money is going to flow, you know, so you got to have enough of a nest egg uh, to survive that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not of the mind frame, you know, you talk to financial advisors and they say, well, take every penny you can out and use it for something else. And I'm, I'm the opposite, man. I'm like, pay off everything you can. Same. And uh, I have no debt, you know? Yeah, yep. no, it's definitely, definitely smart. And the other thing too is, uh, you know, Eddie, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, um, the whole idea of having incubators for businesses, right? Uh, you know, look into that, even if it's not an investigator, you know, somebody who's who's well-versed in in being a successful entrepreneur, business person, you know, I find like those those are my friends. That's who I gravitate to, uh, guys that aren't necessarily investigators, but they're, maybe, they're business owners and they can relate. And, um, you know, I, I love hanging out with people that are like years ahead of me. And my wife always teased me about too. Like, who do you think you are hanging out with all these people? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> do you understand yeah. that? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. We don't, we're not making what they're making, but I'm seeing how they got there. And, you know, if I can glean anything from, from that, um, I'm, I'm going to do it, you know, and, um, and, and make it real and make it happen. Um, so I want to move to the next point here. Uh, Nikkei, you, you kind of touched on it um, uh, just a little bit Um saying we'd come back to it is the whole idea of, of uh, 1099 contracting, like whether or not 
you should take a gig with another investigator, especially when you're first starting off. Um, Eddie, you tend to work with other attorneys, so or I'm sorry, other investigators. What was your decision process in that? How? What are the pluses and the minuses that you've seen? Yeah, so being a, a subcontractor or being a, a 1099 under another PI, um, you know, it has its pros and cons. When you're doing subcontractor work, you're working at a little bit lower rate than you would charge an, an end user or an end client. Um, but it, it's actually part of a big part of uh, my business. So helping other private investigators build better cases by handling a very special niche that's social media um, is something that we like doing. It's a service that we specialized in providing. Um, so, you know, it, it, the, it does have an advantage because you uh, get to work with the same clients over and over again. You understand their processes and their patterns. Um, and, um, you know, you really can build relationships that way too. So working with, as, a, as a 1099 certainly has uh, some good advantages. Right. Andrea, what's been your experience in dealing with 1099s, both being one if you were and, and, and hiring them if you do? I think a lot of us start out as 1099 employees in the business. There's um, a lot of pluses to that. You don't have the responsibilities of having employees. You uh, can put yourself out to other investigators for the work for the niche that you have. Um, and you don't have the stressors that go along with constantly finding clients or the work that comes in. I think there are quite a few investigators that just do 1099. Now, are those investigators licensed investigators or do they claim to work under the license yeah. of the people they're working for? Because I think this is a hot button issue. That's a really good point. And that's something that you need to find out before you bring somebody on as that a 1099. Each state needs to figure out yes. what, what those rules and laws are. And yeah, I want to take it a step further. If that 1099 contractor is working 30 hours a week for you, they're an employee and you should be paying comp yep. insurance on them. You know, uh, I, I had a, a, an instance with a guy who um, applied to work for me. I'm interviewing the guy and he worked for one of my, one of my competitors and I was like, okay, so what's the business model here? Are you, doing, are you, are you looking for full-time 1099? He goes, oh, no, I've been 1099 with this guy for, for, for 12 years. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, they pay you hourly. But are you, um, are you a licensed investigator? He goes, no, I'm not licensed. I'm under his license. I'm like, mm, ding, ding, ding. Uh, no. <laughs> like, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, were you fingerprinted? No, I was never fingerprinted. Mm, uh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> like, this is a problem, right? Do you do diligence? Yeah. So I, I told a guy, I was like, I hate to break the news to you, but you're committing a misdemeanor in the state of New York. So, and your employers too. So you should be careful with wow. what you're doing. So always know your, your, your laws and your rules and, and, and tap on those mentors if you're not sure uh, to ask them about, um, you know, what's going on with, uh, with what, with what you're doing. Kelly, what's, what's been your experience with the, the 1099? Well, you almost cannot not operate without them because, you know, if you're doing your job marketing and running a business, you're going to get calls from you know anywhere from Colorado to Wyoming to wherever. So we have to rely upon each other. And so, you know, I belong to 24 associations and I get around to them. And part of the reason is because of this, you know, I can't be everywhere and I get work all over the world. So you have to rely upon subcontractors. We also do subcontract work for other PIs. So it's a two way street. So, you, you know, to Andrea's point, I mean, you know, the, your insurance company normally will ask you to prove that you get, uh, uh, you know, that you have a vendor's agreement. In other words, so when you do, 
bring on a new vendor, you should get their insurance and their PI license right up front. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then secondary to that, you know, if you're going to have uh, someone else do work on your behalf, make sure that you pay them quickly because, yes. you know, they're giving you, they're giving you a discounted rate. I mean, yeah. nine times out of 10, you know, they're giving you a discounted rate. So pay them quickly and then treat them, you know, with respect and don't go behind their back and try to market their client. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, um, you know, it, it's really, really important to to pay the folks that do the work for you. You know, you've yeah. made that commitment to sit on that invoice working for that law firm or carrier. Like that person shouldn't have to wait to get paid, you know, when you get paid. And, um, you know, the, the other thing, it, we're, we're to, let's, let's segue real quick to talk about payments, right? And what does that look like? How do most people get paid? Um, if you're working with attorneys, you're probably going to get paid a majority by checks, um, if you have good relationships with those attorneys, it's probably 30 days or less, sometimes 45. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is I like to take a credit card for every client that I have, right? I get two things, retainer agreement <laughs> and credit card. Yep. Um, you know, so you have that, that backup, right? You, everybody should be working with a retainer and that's a whole nother episode for another day. Um, but, um, that credit card I use as a backup, right? So some attorneys are like, hey, like it's a bookkeeping nightmare to put all my cases on a card. I'd rather do check. No problem. I'll do check. But if you don't pay, you know, 30, 45 days, I'm going to charge a card and you've been warned and this is, you're agreeing to it. You're signing off and you agree to it and this and that. So um, there's that. Then there's the ACH. Kel, I don't know if you get into ACH payments. Um, do you want to cover that real quickly? Yeah, ACH is direct deposits to and from you. So I, I try to pay as many people uh, as I can, my own staff, as well as vendors through ACH. And, uh, you know, it's just cleaner and uh, you don't have to worry about the check being lost or all, all that other good stuff, you know. And I also prefer to be paid that way. But, yeah. you know, I've got about half my clients that still pay by checks. Yeah. So with ACH, you're going to have to give me your routing number and your account number. So you got to be cool with that, you know, depending on who you're yeah. giving that that info to do, do any of you, um, and I know I probably know the answer to this question, but do any of you, and then you can start this one, uh, accept like Venmo or PayPal as payment uh, from, from attorneys or, do, or whoever your clients are. Let's go Eddie first, yeah. It's not the preferred way, I would say. Um, definitely, you know, checks or uh, your case management, most case management softwares will have an online bill pay feature. So when you send them the invoice, there's a link they can pay, they can, input their credit card or their bank number or something like that. Um, occasionally a, a, an attorney or somebody will want to pay, or if it's a one-off case, PayPal, Venmo uh, are, are, are of course, of course, accepted. You just have to make sure that your books, um, you know, that you're recording it correctly, of course, to make sure that it's um, going into your books and everything appropriately. Like the correct account. Um, mm -hmm. How about you, Andrew? Same. I have to echo what these guys are saying. I don't accept uh, Venmo. I don't do PayPal. And I think it goes back to setting all this up right from the beginning. When I first talk with a new client, I set up what, what they can expect from me, but what also what I expect from them as far as payment. Sure. We don't do 45, 60 days. So set that up right from the get-go. Yeah. And, you know, understanding who you're working with too, right? So if it's, yeah. you know, private industry, you get paid up front. <laughs> if it's, if it's, yep. it's a, a one-off, it's a one-off. You're taking that money up front and you're, you know, refunding the balance. If there's any, you know, well, law firm, you could be net 30, net 45. Uh, if you're working insurance, um, 
your whatever terms they have, you're subscribing to it, which is why I don't do it because I don't like leaving invoices out for 200 plus days. But you know, be prepared to wait. If if you're working for a national carrier, it could be uh, it could be a fun ride. You 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 now uh, you know become the bank of Kelmar, right? Right, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, you know, in addition to all those too, man. You know, uh, I do a lot of international work. So you know, how do you pay? people across the pond or whatever, you know, so a lot of the times you got to wire it. And so, you know, I've got yeah. it set up in my account where, you know, I can just call in and do that, you know, so that's, it's a whole different beast when you're doing that and, and uh, credit cards and taking credit cards and the fees associated with that. But, you know, that's part of conversion. doing business. Yeah. Conversion rates and all that too. Yeah. Uh, depending right. on the value of the dollar, you're getting a deal or you're getting ripped off. So. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, we're going to wind down, uh, but I want to cover one more point before we wind down. And Andrea, we're going to start off with you. Why do PIs fail? The number one reason PIs fail is because they're really good at the investigations, but they're really bad at business. Yeah, It has to be a really good balance of both. And that's why you have to do your research right from the get-go. All right. How about you, Kel? Why, why do PIs fail? Yeah, I think in, in addition to that, I think they're just not organized. I mean, and they don't market. I mean, you know, like Andrew said, you've got to be a business person, which is a lot of different hats, you know, and one of them is being someone who knows how to market because if you can't bring in the business, then it really doesn't matter. And once you have the business, then you got to organize it and handle it appropriately. Right. But Eddie, you got anything else to add on that? I agree 100% with, with these guys. Um, and another thing I would add to is that, you know, you have it's something that you have to fully commit to. Um, being an investigator is a long-term, uh, you know, lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's an honorable profession. So you have to make sure that you're treating everyone uh, respectfully. That means this is going to sound funny, but it's the huge pet peeve of mine is returning emails and phone calls. Yes. <laughs> I call other PIs for help all the time. I'm like, hey, I need you to pull a record in this county. Crickets. And so, you know, your, your business won't stay afloat if uh, you're not responding to your clients. And uh, like Andrea said, it's about, you know, being a good, a good investigator, but being a good business person, too. When you run a PI firm, you're the chief everything officer. So you're the head of marketing, you're the head of PR, you're the head of HR. So, you know, m really make sure that you're developing a professional brand and that you're going to be, you know, upholding this this profession in, in an honorable way and really serving your clients and also serving the profession well. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good stuff right there. I mean, I don't, I don't think we can top it. I think we got to end it right there. <laughs> so <laughs> very well stated, uh, Eddie, anybody else have anything else to add? Uh, we're, we're just ending. I would say <laughs> set yourself up for success. Never stop learning. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a lifestyle, you know, like I understand this is not a nine to five gig. Um, no. you, know, you have to be accessible to, to calls and emails and you got to have a significant other that understands that. Um, yes. that's just, that's just life. You know, when you go on vacation, you're going to have to dedicate some time to calls and emails. It's just the, the nature of the beast. Um, you know, but you know, it's a great profession, right? Every day is different. You know, yep. the stories, the, the things that you're going to come across and, and just, you know, how amazing it is to problem solve. That's what I love out of this, you know, just yeah. the ability to figure out why something happened, you know, and, uh, you know, being able to put it together and, and, you know, it comes from the Hardy boys and the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like reading all these things growing up and, you know, it, I'm, we're doing it in real life, you know, we are, we are, which is pretty amazing. Um, and you can too, <laughs> if you just follow these, uh, these steps here too. 
Um, you know, Kelly brought up a good point about investigators toolbox. Um, if you're just getting into the business, really consider joining, looking into it. Um, it's a great resource, um, for not only learning how to do it, but having tools to do what you have to do. You know, the, the open source, um, investigative tool library, um, the access to these three folks who are all members, um, you know, that you can friend request and direct message and, um, you know, the training that that's in there as well, the different uh, continuing education programs. Um, so I, I really strongly, um, encourage you to go check it out and uh, see if it's something that's right for you. Um, okay. So parting words, Andrea, you got anything? Again, set yourself up for success, surround yourself with good, um, PI colleagues and you'll do well. Okay. Eddie, how about you? What do you got? Yeah, I agree. Um, look into associations, learn as much as you can, uh, take advantage of the resources uh, that are at your disposal. And, um, you know, ev every case is unique. So, you know, have an, the intellectual curiosity that that will drive you to keep going. Awesome. Kelly, what you got? I think it all comes down to what we're saying, which is it's a passion. It's got to be a passion for, for you. You know, it can't just be a job. And so hopefully, you know, if you're listening to this, this it's uh, it is a passion and and you'll succeed if that's the case great great well thank you everybody uh for coming on here and taking the time to really uh you know encourage the industry that's what we're doing you know especially the, the, the newer folks and um you know i love doing this program that's one of the reasons i do it is is to get the word out on on how to do our craft and um you, know, you all have participated many times on doing this so i thank you for coming on again and um, thank you everyone for listening to this and we'll uh, we'll be back to a regular program next week i may actually take a week so it may be a rerun i'm not sure <laughs> so thanks everybody we'll catch you next time well now that was an amazing episode so much information and guidance we hope you took some great pointers and you put them to good use thank you andrea eddie and kelly for your contributions also we want to say a special thank you to crosstracks pi institute of education orep and Conflict International for sponsoring the show. So please support our great supporters. And have you thought about joining Investigators Toolbox? Now's the time to get on board and join the fastest growing digital community for investigative professionals. Listen, folks, bottom line is this. If you're listening to this free podcast, it's this app and the rest of our great sponsors who make it possible. So at the very least, if you're serious about making any headway in this business, you should at least be subscribing to Investigators Toolbox. For networking alone, it's literally a gateway into the business. And then there's a ton of resources and tools for you to learn your craft. We're even giving you this code for a 10% discount. You'll find a link in the description, but just in case, the code is PIP201836. Save 10% when you join. So let's support Matt so we can keep bringing you this valuable and free content each week. Thank you. And if you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. He reads all the emails. And you can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week with a new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.